Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Today, we continue our series on wisdom. And today I want to talk to you about a subject that is all just, just countercultural. What, what do I mean by that? As I've been teaching you on wisdom, the truths that I've been teaching you from God's Word are the way that God designed you to live. The way that God designed you to live. You know, when, 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 when someone passes, if they die in their elderly age, you expect that. So you go, it's sad, but, but they live 70, 80, 90 years. You, you still miss them, but, but they lived a full life. Correct? Okay. And as most of us as parents say, that's kind of the way it should be. When a parent buries a child, it's kind of like out of order. If you look at the words of this book, it is an owner's manual that tells you the correct way to live your life according to the way that you were created. How many of you are familiar with the word perversion? You know what perverse means? Is there a lot of perverse things in the world right now? You know what it means? It means reverse. It's a reverse of what God created. It's the reverse of what God intended. Today, you're going to see in the subject that I'm going to speak about that it is an absolute reverse of the way that God intended man to live. And when someone lives the reverse way of which God created them to live, when they live the right way, it's a life of wisdom. When they live the perverse or the reverse way, we call that person a fool. Because they're actually looking at the Creator saying, I'm not going to live the way you designed me to live. Remember my old illustration? Okay, Ford Manual. I'm not going to put gas in my car. They just, this is a scheme. The government is scheming to get me to pay taxes, so I'm going to put water in my car and I'm going to show them. They're telling me I shouldn't drive 120 miles an hour wherever I go. That's a lie. It's a scheme to keep me from really having fun. And six months into a car that should last you six years, the engine's blown up, the tires are blown up, the, everything, the cylinders are leaking, oil's coming out, it's smoking, your transmission's a mess. And you look and go, there's something wrong with Ford. No, no, there's not. There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. And this is the owner's manual. And we've been going through Solomon's words on wisdom. He is teaching us to live life the way God designed us to live, or else we will live a perverse or reverse life of the way that he created us to live. And when people do that and they ended up at a stupid, foolish place, the only people that are surprised is them. The only people that are surprised is them. Do you know people always broke? What's wrong with them? 
how they spend their money. That's what's wrong with them. Do you know that we live in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world and the average American has $500 or less in their savings? We live in the wealthiest nation in the history of mankind. Half of the world woke up on the dirt floor last night. You were mad because your silly posturepedic got too hot. You were mad because your memory foam didn't have the right memory. It has Alzheimer's. We've been studying out of the words of Solomon in the book that he wrote called the book of Proverbs. Solomon, of course, was the son of King David, who when he inherited the kingdom that his father had built, the greatest kingdom ever known to mankind at that time, he said, this is overwhelming to me. God, give me wisdom so I'll know how to lead your people. And God said, because you didn't ask for money or because you didn't ask for the lives of your enemies or because you didn't ask for a long life and because you didn't ask for fame, I'm going to give you wisdom, a long life, riches, and fame. Why? Because when you put God first, he puts you first. Solomon's father, David, the famous giant killer, reminds us of people who want to say no to God, who want to look at all of creation and say there is no creator. Imagine you walking into this building going, this came from an explosion at a steel in a wood factory. Somebody look at you and go, you're a moron. If you can look at the beauty of God's creation and deny that there's a creator, I love you, you're a moron. Psalms 14 verse 1 says this, David reminds us, Solomon's father, the spiritually ignorant fool says in his, you know why he says in his heart? Because he's too stupid not to say, he, he's not stupid enough to say it out loud. He's sitting around going, no, it ain't me. Saying no to God, or there is no God, is the dysfunction of a fool. It's the dysfunction of a fool. Today's message, I said, is countercultural. What do I mean by that? It's the exact opposite of the way the world is moving. Today's message on wisdom is on the subject of honor. Say that with me, honor. Today, we live in a time when all of society wants to dishonor every authority that there is. Let me read to you the blessing that comes from honor. It kind of surmises a lot of things we've been talking about over the last couple of months. Proverbs 3.1, my child, if you truly want to live a long, satisfying life, this is the wisest man that ever lived, leaving these letters to his son. If you really want to live a long and satisfying life, Never forget the things I've taught you. Follow closely every truth I have given you. Then you will have a... Is that what you want, a full rewarding life? Do you know that growing old and living long is only a blessing if you lived right in the early years of your life? When you live right in the early years of your life, you save a little bit at a time. In the end, you're wealthy. When you grow old doing what's right, you bring your children to church. You sow the word of God in their heart. And even when they're stubborn, tender, hard-headed, stupid, and you can't believe they're related to you, but they're all related to your husband's family. 
And then all of a sudden you see the seed of the Word of God begin to grow inside of them. And they're 18, 20, 23 years old. And they start bringing their kids to church. And they start doing the things that you gave them as an example. Then you get to watch your children grow up that way. Then you get the real reward. Your grandchildren. That's a reward for not killing your children. I call Joseph and I go, where's the future? That's John Wesley. I go, where's the future? I go, we're on our way. It's the real joy. How many of you have grandchildren? Raise your hand. How many like showing pictures of your grandchildren to people? Raise your hand. How many of you know that when people show you pictures of their grandchildren, their grandchildren really are not very attractive? I mean, you smile like, and you go, look at that head. That looks like a jug. (laughs) I wish I could show you my grandchildren. They really are pretty. (laughs) Of course, every grandparent thinks that. But when you talk about a long life, that's only a reward for those who lived right because you get to see the joy of that. When you live wrong, you watch the brokenness of your children, the brokenness of your grandchildren. And let me just say this to you. Pastor David talked about small groups launch in September. Every person here needs to be in a freedom small group. Say that with me, freedom. freedom. How many have been to a freedom small group? Raise your hand. Listen to me. One of the biggest misunderstandings of psychology is that we all came into the world good and into a good family. Number one, you didn't come good You came broken into a broken world. And then God gave you to the Fontenot's and the Robichaux's and the Thibodeau's and the Boudreaux's and the Broussard's. And then all their Cajun devils jumped on you. You was a little baby in diapers, Cajun devils. Drink, 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 smoke, 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 cuss, yell loud. Look at women. I mean, just like, you're like three. Like, this is a lot for a kid. (laughs) Can I learn to walk first? <laughs> well, why am I saying that? Because you came broken and you came into a broken world and a broken family. So let me translate that for you. We're all jacked up. And when people's lives fall apart in their 20s or 30s or 40s, it's because they can no longer continue to maintain the front they show and the reality of who they are has a collision with who they want to be and they project to be, and all of a sudden their lives implode. They implode. So because we are all broken, you need to be in a freedom group which helps deal with the hurts. Anybody got hurts? The habits, anybody got bad habits? Okay, and then the hang-ups of our lives, and all of us have them. Get in a freedom small group. It will change your life. And be encouraged. You're going to meet people that are more messed up than you. Like some of you feel like, I'm not going to tell people that I struggle with drinking. You're going to hear them and go, dude, I'm an alcoholic, and I've never been so proud of my life. When you hear other stuff that they mention. Never forget the things I've taught you. Follow closely every truth that I've given you. Then you will live a full, rewarding life. Hold on to loyal love and don't let go. Be faithful to all that you've been taught. Let your life be shaped by 
integrity, with truth written where? On your heart. That's how you will find favor and understanding with both. And you will gain a reputation of living life well. Isn't this true? He wrote this 3,000 years ago. People often tell me, oh, Pastor, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in my life. You know, I mean, I'm just working this job. I just wonder where it's going to go. I go, would you like a promotion? Yeah. Never lie. Be the first one at work. Work harder than everybody else and be the last one to leave. And you're on your way to being your boss's boss. It doesn't matter if you're at McDonald's. Come on, business owners. Is that right? It doesn't matter if you're at McDonald's. It doesn't matter if you're the Christian fast food Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is the only fried sandwich you can eat and the devil won't kill you with it. If you get it on Sunday. I'll let you figure all that out later. Isn't it amazing? He wrote this 3,000 years ago and it's just as true today, isn't it? Then he says this, trust in the Lord completely and don't rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you and he will lead you in every decision you make. I'm going to mention this in just a moment. All, all decisions aren't right or wrong. You're going to hear me talk about that in just a moment. Become intimate with him and whatever you do, he will lead you wherever you, you go. Don't think for a moment that you know it all. For wisdom comes when you adore him with an undivided devotion and avoid everything that's... Then you will find healing, what? For your... And your... That it longs for. Glorify God with all your... Your wealth. Honor him... Say that, honor him with your first fruits, with every increase that comes to you. Let's read this together. Then every dimension of your will overflow with blessings from an. Who doesn't want that? The message translation says it like this in verse 9 Honor God with everything you own, give him the. And. And here's the Cajun verse. Then your barns will burst and your wine vats will brim over. There it is. There's that wine verse you've been looking for. Do you know what the word honor means? It means to esteem, to value, or to show great respect. Do you know that every time that the Bible tells us to honor, it's always referring to someone? It says honor authority. Those in authority. Honor the king. Honor government, honor leaders, honor your parents, honor your marriage. Every time you see the word honor, it's always attached to a person. Do you know that we live in a time when people think you can dishonor everything and somehow that makes you something you weren't before? Let me explain what I'm talking about. How many of you know there's been a lot of hatred and malice and ill will towards police. You know what I want to say to every one of those people? Next time you get in trouble, someone steals you, call a burglar. <laughs> call a thief. He probably knows who stole your car. 
are, are there policemen that do the wrong thing? Do the majority of them do the wrong thing? How, how many of you know how much police get paid? How many of you know they don't do it for the money? Yet we think if there's a few bad policemen that we can dishonor all authority that's there for our protection. That's what you think. I'm not even going to bother the fact that what if that was the case? And each person did what was right in their own eyes and there was no law. I'm, I'm very grateful for the policemen, the sheriff's department that we have here. We've always had them here. I don't know how, but we got the one Mexican policeman on the Lafayette Police Force. The Lord, they must have said, as a Mexican preacher, he needs somebody who understands what he says. If he says something in Spanish, he needs to be protected from. He's the only person I can speak in Spanish to around here. How many of you remember about seven or eight years ago when there was a shooting at the theater? We had three people from our church in that building. Two were directly affected. One was a nurse, just like some of you nurses that come straight from work, women's and children's or or lords or general to church. That's what she did. She worked at night and she would come in the mornings. Excuse me. And then we had a lady who was a teacher from Generet. I'm good. I'm good. Teacher from Generet. I've known her for over 20 years. She's been here since the beginning of the church in the orange chairs. She was seated at the bottom of the theater. The shooter was at the top of the theater at the Grand 14. Now, if you've ever been, you know that you you can walk down the sides, okay, on each side. And she didn't know. But as soon as she heard the shooting and realized and saw gunfire, she fell down on her knees and she started crawling. And she said, Pastor, her story, she shared this on national news. She said, I felt a hand grab me like this. She said, I was crawling this way towards an exit. I felt a hand do this and turn me around. And I started crawling this way. When she came out, she pulled a fire alarm. And immediately there was a policeman in the parking lot who ran in. And three minutes from the time the shooting was there, thank God, a policeman came in. Okay. That day he saved many lives. They called her a hero. She said, all I did was crawl out trying to save my life. There were people that did lose their life that day. How many of you are grateful that a policeman was there? Oh, no. You, you don't know how grateful you should be. Because two weeks before, that shooter walked to the doors right there and into this building right here. And one of our greeters, thank you, Dream Team, (laughs) greeted him at the door, realized he looked a little uncomfortable and said, hey, how you doing? What's your name? And he looked over and he saw our law enforcement right there, our policeman, our deputy. And he walked in and he paced around the back. We know he was casing the place out. And then he walked out and he left. 
when we talk about law enforcement, all we look at is the moment of what happened, something they did right or something they didn't do right. What you don't think of is the millions of times their very presence presented evil and stopped it and prevented it from doing what it desired to do. I told a guy the other day, I said, when you get to heaven and you meet your guardian angel, because the Bible makes it very plain that once you're born again, you have a guardian angel that watches over you. How many of you know that? Jesus said that in Matthew 18. Okay, go, go and read it. Okay. Some of you, go, your angel will come up to you, you're going to have two broke wings, you're going to be on crutches. <laughs> a lot of cages going to have angels like that. You don't realize how much you are protected from, but by dishonoring a few ill-minded, ungood, not good, wicked, ungodly policemen, then everyone gets dishonored. Okay, watch this. People do the same thing with government. All the government is wicked. They do the same thing with churches. All preachers want is money. All priests are molesters. And somehow they think by dishonoring what's there that's even good, somehow they become good by their ability to do that. That is the world we live in today, down to parents. Down to parents. Have you, ever, have you ever walked down the aisle of a grocery store and seen a three-year-old going, No! Oh my God! And you're sitting there going, That child needs to be. You know what needs to be. It is countercultural. So when the Bible tells us to honor, it's always connected to people. Do you know why? Now, one of the great privileges I get by, by Pastor and Dr. Darius Daniels is, I'll get my sermon together, write a lot of it out, or get all the big thoughts, and then I'll call him and tell him what I'm preaching on. And this is what I did yesterday. Actually, the day before. And here's what he began unraveling. I said, I'm speaking on honor. What would you like? What would, you got anything to say? And he just started. And here's what he said that was so powerful. He said, honor is always attached to people. And the reason God tells us to honor people is because honor is the key that unlocks the best of others that God has for us. It, because you know what? If we know someone well, we know the dishonorable stuff about them. The Bible tells you to, wives to honor their husbands you know all of his stupidity. You know where his moles are. You know when he belches. You know when he does the other stuff. I mean, you know all that. God tells you to honor him. Honor your father and mother. I mean, you know all your, when they got mad, when they cuss, they pull up to church, they're swinging and cussing, and then come walking in the door going, praise the Lord, pastor. Good to see you. Kids are going. They slap him. Go to children's church. Yes. What's wrong? Oh, just unhappy. Doesn't like being in church sometimes. Beat him if you need to. I'll see you later. <laughs> do, do you understand what I'm saying? 
And so honor is a choice that we make because our culture is pulling everything towards dishonor. Dishonor the police, dishonor the government, dishonor the mayor, dishonor the teacher, dishonor the parent, dishonor. It is a spirit across our land. Honor is for my protection. Because not only does honor give me the best of people, look at me, why does it tell me to honor God? Because that way I get the best of God. I get the best of God. Honor is for our protection. Why do we honor God? God alone knows what I'm designed for. When I don't honor God, it doesn't change God from being God. People act like, well, I don't I don't believe in God. Like somehow God goes, you're kidding. Okay, I'm in counseling. If you don't honor God, it doesn't change God. It just robs you of what you were created to be. Honor is for my protection. He created me. He's the only one that knows what I was created to be. And when I don't honor him, he isn't the loser I am. Remember the Ford manual? When you don't honor the manual, Ford's not the loser. You just get six months out of a six-year car note. Fool. That was for some teenager here. I know it. Here's the second thing that honor does. Honor is for my, not only protection, is for my direction. You, you know why I ask God before every decision? Some decisions are not black and white. Should I change schools? That's not a black and white decision. Maybe it is in your case, but, but a lot of times, it, should I change jobs? Why do I ask God first? Because he knows what leads to the next thing that leads to the next thing that leads to the next thing for the relationships. The Bible says that we are his workmanship. We've been recreated to do good things, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And when I ask him, then when I go to the right school that he wants me to go to, I meet the person that he wanted me to meet, and we start dating, and then we break up before I go to college because I act like an idiot for two years, and then I reunite with her, and she's still as sweet as she ever was, and she doesn't know anything anybody I did anything with, and then we reconnect. Hold it, is this anybody's story here? And then all of a sudden we start dating, and we date through college, and then I graduate, and then we get married, and then we have children, and now it's all come together. And all of that wouldn't have happened had I not made that one decision by asking God. I honor him by asking him. You know, people ask me sometimes, You know, Pastor, how did you get here to Lafayette? How did a Mexican get to Lafayette, Louisiana? Jesus is called the Alpha and the... You know what that means? The beginning and... Because when he starts something, he knows what... We don't even realize when it started. So people go, how did you get here? Okay, can I tell you the brilliant scheme that caused our Savior's church to be what it is today and where you are right now? How many of you glad this church is here? Look at me. Let me quick, quick question. How many of you gave your life to Christ in this church? Raise your hand if you're born again in this church. Look, look, look at all these hands. 
Can, can I tell you why that happened? When I was 19 years old, when I was 14, a white pastor came to the Mexican ghetto. I'd been raised in the black ghetto until I was nine. When I found out I wasn't black, I moved to the Mexican ghetto. He came. He met me. He led me to Christ when I was 14, and he took me in and he raised me like his son. It was really funny. He is honky white. I am very Mexican, and my hair was down to here. I looked like cross between Cochise and Tonto. And, and I, I, would, I would be with him, and he would introduce me. He'd go, hey, this is Jacob. He's my son. And people would look at him and look at me and go. So when I'm 19 years old, he's talking to a pastor that has a church right next to Northside High School. It's a church of 150 named Bethel Assembly of God. He knew his father from Houston. And they're talking, and he says, you know, we're having race riots at the school right next door, joining to our property. He said, the blacks and the whites, they've had to elect a black homecoming queen and a white homecoming queen. And he said, man, we don't know what to do. He said, it's affected the church, fights, police. And my spiritual father, the pastor who reached me, goes, you know what you need? He said, what? He said, you need my son to go over there. He's not black. He's not white. He's a Mexican. He can help. What book did he read that in? If blacks and whites are having a fight, send a Mexican. He'll interpret. What are we going to do? Make fajitas? (laughs) Sit down and have a little chili con queso? (laughs) What you doing? I don't know. Why are we fighting? Chore, I don't know. (laughs) What are you? I mean, that is insane. Would you say that's insane? If you were writing my story, would you write it that way? I was the first Mexican most people in Acadiana had ever met. Thank God. So I get to this church, and the pastor brings me over. My hair's down to here. He brings me over to meet the principal. Okay, he introduced me to the principal. And he's all suited up, and, you know, he walks up and goes, Brother, I know you don't know, but I'm the church next door, brother. And... um, I brought a young man with me. You can see he has long hair like the children in this school. And he is a Mexican. Principal probably still in counseling over this conversation. He said, he's not black. He's not white. He's a Mexican. He can help. Principal was very gracious. He just kind of smiled and he said, well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that, but I think we're fine now. We left, and the pastor looked at me and goes, well, what are we going to do? I said, well, the kids come, and they hang out in the church yard, so I'll start meeting kids before school and after school in the church yard. We give them Cokes and stuff, and I'll just start talking to them. He said, brother, you don't think we are to get on the top of the building and get a band, and you could just preach to all of them from the top of the building? No. I've been high before. I don't think think that's the solution to this problem. Come on, do I, Barry? You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And so so this is a true story. So I'm staying at the church. The church is built about 150. It's still there. There's a two-room apartment that the youth pastor lives in. Okay? 
and I sleep on a couch there. And they have a phone that rings in the office of the church and right near the couch where I'm at. So one morning I get awakened by the phone. I answer the phone. I said, hello. And a lady goes, I am looking for a prophet from God that God has sent to reach the young people of Acadiana. I said, okay. She said, I've just heard him on the radio sharing his testimony, how he came to Christ in a junior high school where a thousand kids gave their life to Christ. And God told me he sent him here to reach the young people of Acadiana. Where is he? I said, well, that, that's me. And she said, can you sing? <laughs> now, I did sing. <laughs> Don't hate on me. I would speak at small churches, and they'd play a little soundtrack. And they'd put the soundtrack on, and I'd be singing, Little flowers never worry when the wind begins. I mean, I would sing. I kind of had it going on. As long as it was a church of 150, I had it going on. And, and so she, the lady says, I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I want you to be at the Hyman Performing Arts Center tonight at 630, 645. And I want you to have your soundtrack. And go and find a sound man and give it to him. And then you're going to speak and sing before a hell's angel named Ron Dupree speaks. I said, yes, ma'am. So I get there, 6.30, 6.45, I walk into the Hyman Performing Arts Center. It was called the Lafayette Municipal Auditorium then. I walk in, and I walk up to the guy at the sound booth, and I go, um, I think I'm supposed to give you this. He goes, who are you? I said, Jacob Aranzi. He goes, what is this for? I said, well, I talked to a lady, and she told me that I was supposed to be here to sing and to speak and share my story. He goes, what lady? I said, Pat Hayes. He goes, oh, my God. Give me the tape. Well, this lady was married to the man of a group, the president of a group called Full Gospel Businessmen. And she didn't even tell her husband that she called me and told me. Watch it. Story about to get real good. So I stand up, sing my song, Little Flowers, share my testimony, four or five minutes, and I walk down to the second row. And I sit down about in the middle where they had a seat saved for me to hear this hell's angel run to priest who'd been converted, share stories, packed out, 2,000 people there. And there's a lady that taps me and goes, that was such a great message. I said, thank you so much. And she had a little girl beside her that was about 13. And I said, you're so cute, and sat down. That lady was named Louise Baudouin. That girl was named Michelle Baudouin. Today she's named Michelle Aranza. Do you know why you ask God? Because he knows what the next decision is. He knows who you need. He knows the relationships that you need. And you keep looking at the decision you're making instead of the person you're asking to make the right decision. He knows the end from the beginning. I don't even realize the beginning. Most of us are about as smart as a guy from East Texas. He looked at me one time, he goes, Pastor, said, I don't know about you, but I see God a whole lot more looking behind me than I do looking in front of me. What is he saying? 
I didn't even realize what God was doing until I got to the other side. And sometimes I don't even realize that. I was at Church of the Highlands, the largest single church in the nation, speaking to a staff meeting a few years ago. Guy walks up to me and goes, do you remember me? No. He said, I'm from New Iberia, Louisiana. I said, well, hey, good to meet a Cajun. He goes, when I was 13 years old, I was a rebel. My mama drugged me to a Sunday night service where you were speaking. I was so mad. We were in such a financial bind. I don't know why my mama was going to church. I don't know why she was dragging me to church. And you walked up to us and said, it's great to meet you. And you reached into your pocket and you handed my mama a $100 bill and said, God told me to give this to you. He said, that marked my life. Today, I'm one of the pastors here of one of the campuses at Church of the Highlands. We don't, we don't know. We don't know. That's why we must have the humility to ask, to put God first, to honor him by asking first. We need to honor God in three key areas of our life. In our last five, six minutes, I want to give you these three key areas. Number one, we need to honor God and put him first in our giving. Say that with me, giving. Okay, look at me. How many of you would be mad at me if you knew I was, knew someone living in adultery and I didn't say anything to them? What would the rest of you do? How many would be mad if I knew someone was stealing from somebody in this church and I was talking to them and I didn't say anything? Okay. How many of you would be mad if I saw someone being horrifically ugly to their parents and didn't say anything to them? Would you be mad at me? Then don't be mad at me if I talk to you about stealing from God. When he says, honor God with the first fruits, you know what that means? They're waiting for the grapes to come. They're waiting for the oranges to come. They're waiting for the lemons. They're waiting for the apples. And the first one, the one who's slaved and worked and sweated and plowed and, and watered and fertilized goes, oh, man, this is, I've been waiting. I get the first, I get the first. I've done all my work, my hand, my land, my, I get. Hold it. Who, who gave me a healthy body? Who created me? Who made the land? Who gave me the favor and the giftings and the wisdom and the strength and protected and guided and directed and helped me all my life? Who put me in the family I'm in? God, 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 God. Who does it all belong to? You know how you know? Because when you take your last breath, it goes to somebody else. It surely doesn't belong to you. Honor God with the first. Why is this so significant? The word tithe means 10%. Look right here. The first 10% of your income belongs to There's two ways to look at that. Why does he want 10%? Here's the other way to look at it. He owns it all, and I get to keep 90%. Do you know why? Because there's a propensity in every one of our hearts to attach ourselves to what we own. It just is. It just is. It, it is something when we gain something, when we earn a certain amount of money, when we buy something. Okay, remember, how many of you remember your first car? How many were so proud of that thing you couldn't even get your head in through the school door? Huh? Looking back on it, it was a dump, wasn't it? 
those Chevrolet Biscayne from Mama. Those old Suburbans that a 30-odd six couldn't stop. Remember those? Those Galaxy 500s are like riding on Mama's Lazy Boy. Remember how proud you were? That's my car. Do, do you know how many people that live in River Ranch or are multimillionaires? It's the same spirit who just graduated and got older. Why does God want the first 10%? Listen to me. Because it's your way of always reminding yourself, I know who it all belongs to. I'm just a steward. I'm just a steward. He gave it to me. You say, Pastor, does that work? can't tell you the people that are seated in this building now who started with nothing in that principle and this year they'll do a hundred million dollars but let me give you one that you all know what's your favorite drive through fast food on the count of three yell it out one two three who said Sonic who said Chick-fil-a Okay, that's the Christians in the building. Sonic needs to grow up and get saved. Watch this. Do you know that Chick-fil-A is giving up? You can look at it. One billion dollars a year in sales by being closed on Sunday. One billion. And you know what's crazy? They are still the highest grossing, highest profiting, most well-run fast food restaurant in America. Just being open six days, they do more than anybody else does on seven. Do you know why? Because they saved the marriage of a manager. Because they let people know that it all comes from him. That's why. That's how Sam Cathy built that business. Sunday belongs to God. Put God first in your tithe. That's the first 10%. Where does that go, Pastor? It goes where you get spiritually fed. If this is where you get spiritually fed, tithe here. If you don't feel like you get spiritually fed here, go somewhere else and tithe there. But wherever you go, tithe. And tell them Pastor Jacob said for you to do that. If you don't like this, go to East Bayou and tithe. If you don't like this, go to Holy Cross and tithe. Go to St. Joseph's and tithe. But changing buildings doesn't mean you are no longer robbing God if you're not giving him the first 10%. Listen carefully to me. I know this is hard. I know in every one of our services, probably 30% of the people tithe in our church. You say, Pastor, are you doing this because we're in financial trouble? Look right here. No, we're doing amazing. But every time we buy a building for $150,000 and give it to an African-American pastor who's helping people in the worst part of Lafayette, you don't get to be a part of that. Every time we go in in a crisis and help 1,200 families get back in their home during a flood, 
You watch that, but you're not a part of that. Someone told Pastor Nick one time when he was preaching here, they said, you know, when, when, when this, you know, when, when I really get involved, I, I'm going to start tithing. And this will be my church. And Pastor Nick looked at him and said, this will never be your church. And you can't call it your church until you tithe. Somebody else is paying for you to be here. Honor God. Then there's gifts to the poor. Then there's missions and special projects and all of those things. Why is this so significant? Because in my heart, I want to be attached to things. I just do. I do. All of us do. It's human nature. It's not that you're bad. It's the fallacy of man. It's who we are. You know what's crazy? I know people that got an acre of land and a trailer that are as arrogant as people that got the biggest house at River Ranch. The devil really doesn't care if it's a trailer and an acre or a mansion in River Ranch. He just wants your heart that actually only belongs to God. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 24. Listen to what Jesus says. No one can serve Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise or take lightly the other. You cannot serve both. And it's amazing. He doesn't say God in sex, and that's a strong drive. He doesn't say God in food, and that's a strong drive. He doesn't say God in pride. He says God and money. Why? Because there is something we have a propensity to get stuck in our heart. Let me ask you a question. How many of you want to grow old well? How many of you want to retire well? I want you to. God wants you to. How many of you would put your money in something, even if it brought you $100 million, if the moment you took your last breath, it went to zero? How many of you put your money in that? Nobody. Look at me. This book teaches us that you can send it in front of you. Yesterday, right here, one of my favorite people in the life of our church, Dr. Donald Blue, lay rest. He delivered three quarters of the babies in New Iberia. He was a pastor's friend. There's a handful of people in 23 years of this church that have called me on a regular basis and said, Pastor, what can I pray for you for? You're praying for everybody else. He loved fishing. He had a large boat. My son Wesley, who went to be with the Lord when he was 20, when he was 15, went with Dr. Blue, and Dr. Blue stayed up all night, 100 miles out, fishing with him just because he loved it. It gives me comfort to know that he met him there. Dr. Blue was here from the beginning of those orange chairs and was a part of every single thing that we did. And I looked at his children who sat right here. Psychiatrists, physicians, engineers. And said, your daddy gave you an education, but he left you an integrity and a legacy and everything you see. More than 20,000 people that call our church, their church all across from the beginning of the border of Texas all the way through to the other side. Your daddy's a part of all of that. He went to his reward. I don't know what he left you, but he went to a whole lot more than he left you. 
Give God the first of your day. Give him the first of your day. When you get up in the morning, look at me. I don't care if it's 15 minutes. Just, just get up. How many need coffee before you can even walk? That's not true. You go to the bathroom first. Quit lying. The older you get, the more frequent you go. Look at me. Get that Bible. Get that Bible. Get that Bible and get that coffee. Christian coffee. CC's. Not that possessed Starbucks coffee. And look at me. And hear God before you hear anybody else. Before you get on social media, before all the world starts bombarding you with their wave of trash, get up in this book. Look at me. And then talk to him. You say, Pastor, I'm not good at prayer. Look right here. Don't tell me that you love God with all your heart. You just don't like talking to him. I don't know anybody that says, I love my mama. I just hate talking to her. My daddy, my favorite person, just don't want to talk to him. Talk to him. Talk to him. Surrender your day to him. Tell him your problems so that he can give you peace and strength for the day. And then finally, put him first in your week. I know that many people are home now because of COVID concerns, but look at me. The COVID virus didn't kill the Sabbath. Sunday still belongs to God. It still belongs to God. It no longer, it it isn't your golf day now. Why? Because by doing that, I'm saying, God, you give me all of the days of my life. You asked me for one day to honor you with my time in your house. You know, my house, we have a big table Michelle had made when we started the church, man in St. Martinville. It's a 700-pound table. It's made out of cypress. It seats 12 people. We entertain two or three nights a week. And whenever we sit down for dinner, which we have dinner together as a family every night, you know who sits down first? That's somebody that's been there. You know who sits down first? I do. And you know who gets served first? Because you always honor. You always honor. They get served first. When you have a birthday party and you cut the cake, you know who gets the first piece? The most honored person there. Do do you know why we call Sunday the Lord's Day? Say it with me, the Lord's Day. Because during the Jewish time, do you know when the Sabbath was? What day it was? Anybody know? It was Saturday. Do you know how we call it the Lord's Day? Because that was resurrection morning. It was the day he rose from the dead. That's why we rise and meet him. Honor him. Let me give you this last scripture and I'll close. I know I've gone a little long, but when the saints go into overtime and lose, you don't complain. Matthew 6, 33. It's connected to Matthew 6, 34, which we already read. Let's read it together. But seek first his 
and his, and all these will what? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And then Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. It's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. You say, Pastor, what do you want? I want the creator of your life to be the most important person in your life. That's what I want. That's what he wants. And that's how you will live a long, fulfilling, and satisfied life. Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the truth of the word of God that is unwavering and unchanging. I pray right now that even as you've spoken to each of us, I'm aware that every one of us here at a different place, but you know each person and you've tailor-made each thing that was said for each individual that was here. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to us. In this world that's filled with uncertainty, we put our hands in the one who is certain. And now with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, I've been Christian, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a good start, but that's not what Jesus said. He said that you aren't spiritually alive until you were born again. He said you could know your sins were forgiven until you were born again. He said you wouldn't know that if you died, you took your next breath, you would see the face of Jesus unless you were born again. Your spiritual journey begins the moment you're born again. How can I do that, Pastor? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer and that he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. Someone will die for your sin either he did or you will. C, Confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're in, you say, Pastor, I've never prayed to be born again. I want to begin today. I want to pray for you right at your seat as we prepare to dismiss. On the count of three, if that's you, if you just say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to be born again. I've never prayed to be born again. I've been christened, baptized, joined the church, never prayed to be born again. Today, I want to do that. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. So on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you. One, God has orchestrated this moment for you. Two, all those decisions have led to you right this very moment to say yes to him and to begin your spiritual journey, coming from spiritual death to spiritual life, to be born again. And it begins now. Three, if that's you, raise your hand high. Raise it high. Yes, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Anywhere else? 13, 14. All right. Last 10 seconds, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. I didn't raise my hand with these 14, but I should have. Raise it and wave it at me right now. I'm asking this last time for you. 14, 15. Anywhere else? All right. Church, let's pray out loud. We're going to join you, those of you that raised your hand. Let's pray out loud together, church. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe it on the cross. 
You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.